Hello! Happy uh, second episode this calendar 2024 of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I am Jay Goldberg. So we went to CES. We, uh, we survived. My feet and back hurt, although you and I have a hack for that, which we'll share with our audience how to alleviate your, uh, your, your body pain with some very willing show floor vendors. Um, but I also caught a little bit of the crud, which I'm on the tail end of, which doesn't surprise me. There was 150,000 ish people there. All, m- many people, when you ask for demos, breathing right in your face, a lot of very people like to get right up in your face to give you a demo, which, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't ideal, <laughs> but, uh, that's CES. All right. So, so Jay, so independently of each other, we didn't plan this. Like literally it went from me to you and we're like, look where I am. Why don't you, you, you talk about our show experience of, uh, of relaxation. Yeah. All the thousands and gadgets and crazy technology. And by far <laughs> the highlight of the show for me was the hour. Or so I spent, uh, doing intense research into the subject of massage chairs. Which, which I'll point out to everybody, every is, is an advancing semiconductor category because they're getting, no, no, listen, hear me out. Hear me out. Hold on. Hold on. I, I've not, I'm not even joking you. This was my minus COVID, which I attended virtually, but theoretically let's just my 23rd CES. My first CES was, uh, the big news of the show was the launch of TiVo and Replay TV in a very muted. So now you know you know how long I've been going to CES. But for as long as I can remember, I have always done this. I go to the massage chair section. So I'd like to say I have keenly observed their evolution. You know, when you first started, it was a you know looked like a leather recliner, and I did some massage, and then pass through the years, then you you know your feet get involved. Uh, now, now these things like encompass your body. You got to stick each one of your little fingers in a hole and it's doing like a hand arm massage. But but this year, this year, subject to the topic we're going to talk about, about where was AI at the show, there was a chair that said it did AI sensing of your pain points. So it like did a little, I, I, get, I didn't get to do this because I didn't have time, but somebody was telling me it does like a, like a full body kind of roll. So like it basically like pushes up, uh, up through your hips, through your spine and senses where there was some friction. And it's like, all right, you know, you've got pain in your lower back or your upper back was more, you know, more, more firm than, than, than somewhere else. And then creates a nice little program for you. There's some semiconductors going on there. There's sensors, there's a microcontroller there's a brain of some sort so my, that's that's my grand <laughs> it is an evolving category of semis that we have to keep trying on a year-to-year basis i i agree with that part i i will also say that i think that this is this is not just a spurious example of ben and jay's uh, adventures in, in ces it this is it's a pretty good proxy for how uh, a lot of ai plays out because i did i did the ai the ai scan chair i sat in that one i also sat in it last year before they called it ai right and it was it was the exact same experience yep um it was a great massage don't don't get me wrong like the 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 folks at osim know a thing or two uh but 
it's 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 AI wash. Um, let's just be blunt. By far, the the much more impressive, uh, important advance in the world of massage chairs came last year with the invention of five D rollers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure I don't know exactly what that means because no one can really explain it to me. But I'm I'm pretty sure what that means is they have they have rollers sort of at the in the seat and they massage your right. hip muscles particularly well. Right. That that was more more important than AI. But you're right. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of semiconductors in a in in some of these chairs as with everything else. Yep. But but you you hit on the topic. So this is what we want to talk about. Where, where was the AI? Because I do think there was two tracks from the show, which I think is worth pointing out. Um, there was and and if anybody followed this remotely, I think there was a there was a a recognition that AI was maybe there in a subtle fashion, but not overblown, which I would say is the exact opposite of the show where smart assistants showed up and was in everything. You, you exactly were right that there are some, I would say a number of products that were probably doing, I guess what we would call either AI or not AI that then labeled them AI, but it wasn't like a giant, you know, on the sign, we've got AI in our whatevers. Um, that that was true. There there was a tempered and more muted, and I think for good reason, uh, recognition from many many vendors to not overblow that. Right, not try to capitalize on the the hype, but instead maybe just show show some features and re- and really where it came down to. And this is where I think this is an interesting conversation about was there some machine learning that's been going on for a while and people know it, they just didn't want to call it AI because they thought it was going to freak people out which just has to do with there's a lot of sensors that do show up on end products that need to do some sensor fusion and some some working together of data. But but again, it wasn't generative AI, but there was some intelligence happening. And this year, people started to use those examples. So for example, Kohler had a smart toilet, which I've seen for years, does any number of things of, of sensor data uh, around orientation. Some of them were bidets. So as weird as that is to talk about, there was some sensor fusion happening to be more, uh, accurate, <laughs> I should say more thorough, <laughs> but, but this year that was an AI feature. So I did see some people, some of the media who were doing some of these walking around show demos saying, it's a smart toilet. It's got AI. And I was like, I mean, really it's, it's doing the same things. It's, it's done for a while, but we're saying, or we're comfortable saying AI now, but the meta point it wasn't as pronounced as I thought C- coming off that one show where the smart speakers and Alexa and Google assistant and et cetera, were just everywhere, whether they needed to be or not, it was much more muted than that, which I sort of take as a positive. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I, I see this sort of two, two tracks for AI. One is the pure marketing term. Like there's lots of, gadgets that have AI in them with air quotes, right? There's the AI chair and the AI backpack and the AI toothbrush. That's just, that's just the label AI being thrown on, you know, machine learning at best, but really just software. It's AI in it. And then, and then there were, there were like, I'm, I'm not dismissing AI and neural networks and large language models. Those are important, but like the vast majority of things that are called AI today are not that. In, in the category of you know real machine learning applications, uh, there wasn't a lot. 
there wasn't a lot for a bunch of reasons we can get into. But I thought that was interesting. I really, I was really going into the show expecting to be AI in my face everywhere, and we yeah, we didn't agreed. get that. And and, th- and that's that's probably a good thing because Vegas is uh, is too much as is. But you know, so I will I will say though that's why I say there was two tracks of the show. There was the kind of main area where <clears throat> this was exactly as we say, perhaps more muted. Then there was Eureka Park where you had two parts of Eureka Park. You have the general section where there was just labeled themes, smart home, robotics, smart health, AR, VR, et cetera. And there was booth vendors there. And then each country has its own sort of pavilion, right? So you name name a country, they've got a startup cycle. So I did as much as I could. There was a lot more AI there than on the main show floor. There was AI everywhere, which which has... Two two things, and I appreciate appreciate uh, the 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 candidness and transparency of people who <laughs> exhibit in uh, a Eureka Park because they are startups, and a lot of venture capitalists go down to Eureka Park and and use this as a way to sift through, uh, try to find a needle in a haystack, if you will. So so there's numbers of them right there that are just saying seeking funding. Halfway through of a seven hundred thousand dollar round, please inquire and like like just in bold letters there on the side, but but that was where I saw what we were expecting to see, which was a um, a uh, a lot of AI for the sake of AI, whether it was or wasn't, because in this context, that happens to be a buzzword that's helping some companies raise money, although I know most investors are not gullible to that. Um, but that's where I saw the sort of, which is where you point out the AI backpack. There was some, I mean, there was a lot of random stuff uh, that was definitely not AI, but but said they had AI and tried to ask what their AI was and, and didn't really get any answer. Uh, so yeah, that was where, like I said, the two tracks of the show, Eureka Park was a very different, a very different story and probably where I got sick because it was, very packed. I mean, like yeah. extremely busy down there. Yeah. I, um, but you know, where we didn't see AI was in the booths of the big, the big vendors. Right. Yes. You know, correct. Right. Uh, they were more muted. They were, they were more muted or just totally, totally silent on the subject, which, which I thought was, was telling. Um, I thought that was, that was really interesting to me. I, I was really expecting, you know, Qualcomm, if no one else, to have a line of AI-enabled laptops, right? That was the the big their big push for the last few months has been this subject, and they didn't have any on display. Um, in in large part, I think because the they're not quite ready. I mean, they're they're ready, but the rest of the ecosystem is not ready, right? And um, I, I'm sure things are coming, but like, it just wasn't quite there yet and it really left me with the sense that for a lot of the big companies we're all kind of waiting to see what the three or four big platforms are going to do right what's what's microsoft going to do what's google going to do what's apple going to do with ai right apple famously doesn't actually attend or doesn't exhibit at ces Uh, they're there but they don't you know don't tell people that but they what what is what is ai going to be for apple if anything and uh and I think once those big companies start to answer, we'll start to see more AI things 
AI-enabled laptops in particular and phones. So on that front, uh, from a semiconductor standpoint, I think a couple of interesting things sort of happened. Um, so, so one was, and, and I'm, I'm going to make this point without necessarily saying this is the norm for every semiconductor vendor, but I did think it was interesting re- relative to someone recognizing where things are going. So, so I, I always like to go by Nordic Semi and just kind of see, you know, what they're new in. Cause I don't talk to that company really very much at all, but at, except at CES. Um, so it was nice to get sort of an update on their platforms. Obviously, you know, they make a lot of reference boards. They make a range of different chips, lots of IOT. You have to appreciate their, their dev board for IOT. It's called thingy, right? So this yeah. was oh, thingy yeah, version, fantastic. whatever. Love the thingy. So, but I said, you know, what, um, what, what are you guys thinking about on-device AI relative to integration with your existing cores? Because they didn't really, they don't really have, and again, I'm loosely using this term, an NPU, but they didn't really have a dedicated AI sort of course. So I missed this news, which they brought up to me in August, that uh, they acquired at Lazo, which is a team that's got AI, ML, uh, sensor, health-related applications, sort of, et cetera. And so you know, but they, they basically said, you know, you can see where this is going. Imagine that for our roadmap, you know, hint, hint, it's obviously coming more built into the core SOCs or, or whatever their packets are. But the point I'm making is I, I do think that that's an example because there's a lot of examples like this where, you know, companies may or may not, may not, may not have been going deeply down this idea of starting to figure out how much on device AI is needed. And so therefore either adjusting their roadmaps, which we know we've seen, right? Relative to the NPU discussion you and I are having that most people's NPUs are retrofitted, which is your point, which, which I agree with, but, but this is requiring, again, if we believe it all is what it is, which we'll talk about what happens on device in a, in a little bit, it is requiring a re-architection of your design in semis. And so whether you either have that IP or you don't, if you don't, you need to get it. This is this example of, of Nordic because you need to do more of it on device than you were doing before, which I think is what they're recognizing. However much it is, there is more that, that may be happening. So like I said, I don't know how indicative this is, but I think it's a point of everybody is re-examining their roadmaps and making these adjustments as they figure out how much they want to bring to the edge. So there's there's two parts to that though because one I think is like and Nordic's a good example here because Nordic makes connectivity chips, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, a little bit of cellular, some power management, right? And what what exactly do they need neural networks for? What do they need machine learning for? Because I think there's really two two categories for that. One is AI tools machine learning tools that improve the functionality of their chip in some way. And then there's AI that's going to be a, a customer facing feature right? where you're going to say, Oh, this is going to make your customer experience better because of that. And in Nordic's case, it's, it's very hard to come up with what that is. Right. I don't think, you know, Nord- Nordic, as you mentioned, they have the, the thingy and they're, they're known for being fairly uh, customer friendly in terms of their tools and their support. 
but are they going to have like, I mean, I guess they could have like a chat bot to help you program their, their devices, but like, I, I don't see them doing that. Like, and, and it's not like you need rich, robust software interfaces, generative, uh, generative language models on, on your Bluetooth device, right? It just doesn't work. I think where it's more interesting for them is that they're going to find ways to make their, their connectivity more efficient, reduce power usage, make better network hopping, channel hopping decisions around the Bluetooth stack based on some machine, machine learning model that they're going to program. And then they embed a little tiny, you know, some kind of neural core inside their existing chip. And, you know, it's tiny. It'll be a tiny little piece because what in what they're really doing is they found a new form of calculation that they can do more efficiently with a, a, with a neural network type model. Right. And they just sort of slot that into their chip in, in ways that if we weren't all talking about AI, we would probably never notice. They're just, oh, they're right. just making, they found a way to make their chip a little more power efficient. Great. Um, and so th- that's probably more, I think that's more significant, like, the, the stuff that they're not even going to talk about or normally wouldn't even talk about, that's probably much more important for someone like Nordic. And I think that's, that's true of everybody, right? Oh, most of what's going to end up as AI is going to be stuff that we wouldn't otherwise notice if AI weren't such a big sure. marketing feature. Sure. Agreed. And, and I think it's a, a reasonable sort of understanding about how some of these problems will get solved. Another interesting example was... Uh, I was in the Lenovo booth for a while, and uh, and, and Lenovo was showing off a couple of products, uh, ultra Intel Core Ultra products, so Meteor Lake products. One of them, the YogaBook i9, which is a very interesting sort of dual screen, you know, laptop that kind of mounts, and you've got a full screen on the top, a full screen on the bottom, and a keyboard. And they were saying they've actually got an AI chip in there, which sole purpose is battery life management. And so it's doing whatever it does at an algorithm level to, cause you got two 4k led screens staring at you in the face in this I nine that's kind of docked. It's, it's super clever. It's the second version of this product. First one running Intel core ultra. So it should get some better battery life anyway, but they were using this sort of dedicated chip to, to really do smarter management of the system, not calling it AI. Like they're not, going out saying, Hey, we're calling it. They're just saying like, look, this is something we did to solve a problem. In this case, we want a better battery life. We felt that we could build this thing and it could take all these inputs and help manage thermals and do whatever intelligently and clever way to solve a problem, right? It's, it's a discrete chip, but, but that was them saying, this is how we're going to solve this problem. It's not doing generative AI. It's just got a, it's got a job. This little chip has a very specific job and this is what it's doing. Yeah. For, for me, my favorite example was the, folks at John Deere who, you know, in full disclosure, provided me with this lovely hat for free. Um, other, other than that, it's not a sponsored event, but like I was in the, I was in the John Deere booth and people, I, I think people underestimate John Deere's technical yes. capabilities. I think it is Agreed. the most advanced industrial, large industrial company when it comes to all things compute and semis and software for that matter. Right. And like if if you look around the world, the only company that actually has an autonomous vehicle right now is John Deere. Right? Yeah. They have they had in their booth they had a live feed from a a tiller plowing up fields, a cotton field in Texas, live streamed to the show, like autonomous tilling vehicle. 
very advanced in what they're doing. I, so I was in their booth and I ended up talking to one of their leader, leading software data analytics people. And we had a 15 minute conversation about what they were working on and, you know, all the different things and the full, the full explanation, we had a pretty good conversation. We made it through 15 minutes and he didn't mention machine learning or AI once he was just talking about kind of what they were, what they were doing. And I thought that was very telling because here's someone who actually built an AI system, an autonomy system, who, do, who didn't describe it as AI, didn't describe it as machine learning. Uh, and so I, 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 I really, I really appreciated that. And, and it was, it was funny though, because I had, a, I, he, he, you know, we had a long conversation about all of these things and it, it's clear like they're, they're very advanced and doing all kinds of important features. Um, and they just, they just don't think about it in terms of that. They just think about, oh, we have this, this is what we want to accomplish. This is the way we're going to do it is using these kinds of models. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. In fact, I, I, I did the, uh, one of the research plants for, um, man, I hope I remember that blue river, which is who they purchased for software and AI is just down, down by me at Gilroy. So last year I went and did the demo where we kind of watched it do that thing. Uh, and they threw stuff in front of it and it would stop and make sure that it's not a human and wouldn't move until, right. or an animal until it went away incredible. So, and, and one of the things that they had actually said is that, you know, that agriculture had generally, and I, I thought this is true and you sort of think about it, it been a fairly early adapter of advanced technology because of the efficiencies that it brings. Now, yes, it was expensive, but because I, I had said like, how likely is it, you know, that farmers adopt this? And they're like, look, you know, if a farmer doesn't have to spend time eight hours a day tilling a field or spraying weeds, that frees them up for other things. It's a it's an economic efficiency, despite the cost, this, you know, this will pay for itself over time. And so that, it's interesting how agriculture is going to look for these things and appreciate those advancements, again, without needing to go deep in the weeds and call it AI, you know, et cetera. These are, those are useful applications. And that is a, obviously a ton happening on device, but also having a relationship with cloud connectivity in order to monitor, you know, its cellular. And, and that was the other, you know, sort of point I thought was interesting was, you know, four or five months ago, there was such a push toward on-device AI, on-device AI. And from a lot of my kind of backroom conversations, it's now, yes, there'll be on-device. Yes, there'll be cloud. These two things will work together in some harmonious system. It might take time to figure out how that happens, but it's a recognition of this hybrid environment. You need the cloud for certain things. You need that on device to get the data for the certain things that go back to the cloud, but it is going to be this more symbiotic relationship of cloud and device to do the whole AI story. So I, I my assumption has, has been for a long time that the only way for the economics of AI, and, and really what I'm talking about here is inference. The only way that inference economics pencil out is if a lot of inference is actually done on device at the edge, right? Because that means the end user is paying the capex. My assumption is AI inference is so expensive that like even Amazon and Google will struggle to afford to build out all that compute. That's a, I mean, it's a lot sure. of, it's a lot of silicon. It's a it lot is. of, yeah. Right. And so I, I assume that a very large proportion of the workloads would end up on the edge. A lot of the queries will end up getting resolved at the edge. I, I still think that's the case, but I, 
one of the sort of standouts for me at the show was I start, I'm starting to reconsider that. Right. And, and again, I'll go back to John Deere. A lot of what they're doing in terms of that autonomous vehicle is, is still being done in the cloud. And, uh, right. And, and some of it like safety probably still has to be done at the edge because you need ultra, ultra, ultra low latency. You don't want to run over somebody. But I think even, you know, navigation to some degree is done in the cloud. Things that you would imagine would have to be on the device, they were, they were doing it in the cloud. Because, one, they have, a, they have their own cellular network, right? MVNO type operation. So they have pretty good control over that. Um, but just, I was surprised at how little they were really doing on the, on the edge in the tractor. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm starting to reconsider that. Like, I, I think we could get to a world where if the software moves in certain directions, we get some of these models small enough, efficient enough, or even, no, no, sorry. Even if they, if they don't get that super small, if the silicon moves in the right direction, we can, we can end up doing a lot in the cloud, a lot more than I would have expected. So yes, I I agree. Probably it'll be hybrid, but there is a world in which we could do much, much more cloud AI than I would have, I would have ever guessed. I don't think it has to be 50, 50. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the right point, which is we don't know what the balance is. The one thing that's interesting about the John Gear tractor though, is that it's, again, we don't, we don't say sort of this cloud to hybrid kind of AI bit, it's got connectivity, but it's basically a giant computer. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if we consider that it's doing AI, but it's basically taking all those sensors at the same time and just functioning autonomously. Uh, and, and and that's just edge compute. That's just it doing what it's doing because it's got, I don't know if I forget how many, four or five GPUs, a ton of cameras everywhere. It's just doing its thing. And it's just computing locally. I, I don't think like the whole like getting overborn with what it's going in in AI is really the point for that machine, which, which is also the same thing, right? I mean, if it's just that Nordic or NXP or even Qualcomm just has something doing advanced sensor fusion, like I think I think we're in this unfortunate situation where when we say AI, AI right now, we say generative AI, you think GPT, but there's all this stuff that's been happening for years behind the scenes trying to do anticipatory work, trying to gather data, crunch that data, turn it. Again, is that AI? I don't know, but that's just the compute that happens. And now, unfortunately, we have, we have more questioning of, well, is that AI? It's like, I mean, you know, it's trying to be predict predictive, but it's not necessarily natural language predictive. Like it's a very different situation, but that's just the compute that's been happening at the edge for, for some time. Yeah, but I think it's it is it is important to a, a number of companies who we speak to and speak of often. Yes, just how much inference gets done at the edge because there yeah. you know there there are quite a few companies now who are sort of depending on a future where inference is very edge heavy and um, yes yes I, so don't so know. The, the point the point to this though which kind of rubber meets the road I'm sure you you talked to. Uh, some folks on the on the uh, investment side of things, which leads to a, a point that I think is a big question for the whole. What does this mean for semis this year? Right? Yes, last year was a little bit weird. I think everybody's sort of hoping that we have two things that happen. We have an increase in demand of more edge inference products at the edge, which helps the cycle. We already knew that was going to be there in the cloud. 
And not that last year was a terrible year for semis, but people are right now thinking that this could be an, an up year, which, which could be true. Um, but that was sort of the question, like the state, the state of this industry now coming into this year as more people want more compute at the edge, maybe more generative AI-ish stuff in TVs and smart sensors and appliances, whatever, wherever that goes. So what sort of your, your, your take, cause this is kind of, you know, from a semi standpoint, I kind of use CES as like a, well, you know, is it going to be an interesting year? Is it going to be a dud of a year? Are certain categories that we need to be successful phones, PCs, TVs, automotive, et cetera, just going to have a boring year. It feels like everyone feels like this could be an up year just based on some of these trends, but obviously it's early, but there is excitement that 2024 might be a stronger cycle for semis than last year and maybe even a couple years before. So it's a good question. I, I, I always get nervous about CES as a leading indicator of anything because it's, it's so, it's so big and there's so much going on that the quality of signal that comes out from it is yeah, not tough, great. Right. I think, I think, Auto industrial is not going to have a great year. They're already having a terrible year. I don't think it's going to get better until pretty late. Um, Inventory digestion is a thing for autos. For for consumer semis, um, it's more a question. We've we've seen that turn. Last year was pretty bad. Then it turned in the last quarter. The question is really: Is it going to be good or is it going to be really good? And I, I I I don't. I don't see a lot of signs yet that it's going to be really good. It's just going to be better than last year, which is not a high bar. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a good year for memory because everyone's being very price disciplined and there's lots of memory needed everywhere. So I'm, I'm more mixed, right? For me, it's a big question of, you know, other than NVIDIA, who's going to have a good year. And at what point does NVIDIA hit a one quarter air pocket? NVIDIA is going to have a good year. Um, everyone else is, is, I think, still to be determined. And a lot of it, I think, will come down to software, right? What are the really interesting things that people are going to want to do on their devices? And I, as it stands now, I didn't see a lot at the show that really got me excited to think, oh, it's going to be a big year for consumer because of AI. And it's it's not there yet. So I think I think there we'll, we'll start to see more of those things percolate up through the year, but probably not until sort of the middle of the year. Uh, and that means those things don't get deployed in you know actual devices until the end of the year. And so I'm 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 kind of a little bit more muted on my outlook for for semis for this year. I think it's going to be a little bit trickier. There's just not a lot of it. There's a lot of interesting ideas there out there. Yeah. People are talking about what, things that could be, but I don't, I'm not seeing the products yet. So I have a, I have a similar take. Um, I do think this year will be a little bit better than last year, but I don't think it's the cycle everyone's hoping. I, I think this year there's still some, uh, wrinkles to get ironed out in a number of these categories. Uh, there's still some, as you like to say, retrofitting of prior architectures that's going into these client categories, anything on edge. Um, but I think that sets a table 
this is my this is my going thesis. I think that sets a table for 25 and probably 2026 where things start to get really, really interesting because around that time horizon, I do think uh, mixed reality is going to be a bigger thing, which is going to require a ton of silicon. I do think AI on device will start to feel a little more mature than it is and we'll have some new silicon in cloud in cloud across the board and on device that is re-architected. So with the AI era in mind, which I think is going to make a very big deal on performance, because all of that has to trickle down to the software and the end use cases that take advantage of those things, which I think will start to see scratch the surface, but again, limited by these old architectures in compute today. It's just not going to have the capabilities that it will. Once we start to see these things get re-architected and redesigned with sort of this in mind, I think I think we'll start to see some some of that S-curve swing here in terms of performance and demand on, on devices in somewhat of that time, timeline. So that's my, it's a three-year gradual build toward an environment where things start getting really interesting probably late 2025 and then in 2026. So if you think about it, chat GPT, which really sparked all this latest excitement around AI is 13 months, 14 months old at this point. And so if, if, if you had seen the chat GPT announcement and the next day started designing a chip, yeah, it would just be, you'd just be getting first samples back from the fab right now. Right. Right. It's that's how long it takes. Uh, like if you look at Microsoft, who's obviously very, very connected and very plugged into AI and what's going on at OpenAI. Like they they announced their AI accelerators two months ago. All of those were designed prior to ChatGPT, right? right? And the company's made this big bet on GPT, and like their, their silicon. You know, we're having to wait for the next generation of their silicon, and they're they are they are arguably the most ahead of the curve on this one second after nvidia right and so nobody else's hot ai consumer facing accelerator is really going to be in silicon until end of this year at the earliest just that's how the design cycles work so that means it's silicon's available at the end of this year it's not in a device until next year right so yeah i i think that timing lines lines up it's a little disappointing though because it means 2024 is going to be more of we're going to be in a holding pattern right um yep yep agreed all right well i guess we'll see if we're right but that doesn't change i think the way we analyze this year is really you know who's making progress on some of those specific architectures who's starting to show i think some advancement in some of these more specific use cases, right? In advancements of CPU, GPU, NPU, all of the things that are involved in in compute and AI. But I think that momentum, you know, is 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 this gradual build, but I think this year's kind of that that foundation bit. And so I think as we look for those signposts this year, where's the saying we're going kind of a thing. Um that's sort of at least the lens I'm going to view this year is, is, is what is that build for that timeline 
and assuming that there's no slowdown there, um, what the impacts that's going to be over a two to three year sort of time frame of perhaps accelerated growth or strong growth within the category. Yeah, I think I think this year will be uh, cyclically a good year for most of semis. Right, the right. cycle is turning for most things. That and then you have sort of underlying structural factors where more and more things have more and more semis in them. That that's sort of we're, we're back to. I think this year we're back to status quo. We're back to sort of neutral, steadily growing market. I'm going to be keeping an eye on software user applications, things that people normal people can do with AI, both at home and at work. Uh, I think those, those are the kinds of announcements that are going to be most significant in determining the, the longer term trajectory for anything AI. This, this is an important year on, on the software front, because if, if we start to see really compelling things, then that will drive big, big uptick in numbers beyond. And, and then just going back to a point you made about VR, AR, XR, 100% agree. I saw a lot of companies demoing all kinds of stuff for VR, all kinds of accessories, all kinds of software for VR. I think that had kind of disappeared from the show. It had been like, what, eight, nine years ago, it was the hot thing. And right. then it sort of fizzled out and went away. And now it was back uh, in large part because of Apple. But I think it's it's broader than just the Vision Pro ecosystem because we all yep. know Vision Pro is going to be pretty small for the first few years. Yep. But I do think people are starting to pay attention to that more um, VR content, VR accessories, that that's starting to become, we, we've, we've gone through the hype cycle. We've gone through the complete disillusionment and now we're starting to build real products. Right. And, and it just, it, it'll take a while and a good showing from vision pro will help a lot, but it doesn't, yep. it's not required. Yeah. And on, on the AR front, the AR front, I think, I mean, this is something I talked about in my, in my newsletter today was there's still a lot of technical problems with getting augmented reality glasses. Like that's, that's where we need to go is glasses that work. And that's incredibly challenging technically battery power, uh, video signal, all that stuff, video processing. But I think there were some important technical advancements this year that will, things that will dramatically improve power performance. Um, the, the, I think everybody, the, the device that everybody asked me most about who wasn't at the show was like, hey, did you see those transparent TVs? Right, right. I, I like the, LG and Samsung and a couple other companies had these transparent LED TVs that were pretty interesting. They were using them in large scale kind of formats. I think it gets really interesting when they shrink those down. I don't know how long that's going to take. It's probably not soon, but like that's what we need to get these glasses to work is, is exactly that kind of technology. And so we're inching forward on AR in, in ways that I didn't think we were going to see for a while. So it's encouraging. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I, I have my alarm set for uh, a few days from now to get up at 4.30 and prepare to order the Vision Pro at 5 a.m. on the dot in the hopes that I get in the early cycle. So that's, that's, uh, that's happening, and it will be very, very fun to talk about that uh, on the channel because um, there is some indication that it is the specced up version of M2 um, which uh, which might mean that there's a lot of compute. So we will see. But that that will be a fun category to talk about amongst uh, amongst the others. So interesting. Well, I'm excited to see uh, see how this year plays out. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. There's going to be a lot of people talking and a lot of people doing. 
and uh, it'll be fun to be in the midst of all of that. So thanks everybody for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the week and we will talk to you next week. Thank you everybody for listening and tell your friends, click like and subscribe.